That's not my job. But when things go right, we're quick to accept praise. Whether we choose to believe it or not, or to accept it even, my faith affects you. Your faith affects me. I ran across a definition of a phrase called spiritual formation this past week, and I thought I would share with you. It is here, spiritual formation uh, is spirituality something done in relationships and in community. I want you to see that again. Something done in relationships and in community. In other words, you really can't be the people that God wants you to be. You really can't be the follower of Jesus Christ unless you're in relationship. Unless you're in community. You'll remember that Jesus is approached by a Pharisee, by a lawyer, and is asked, tell us the greatest command. This verse is out here when you first come in the main doors and Jesus answers him this way love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength with all your mind but he goes on to say and love your brother as yourself most of us don't have any issues with loving God right most of us don't have any issues with that at all we 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 have that void in our lives we have this Pascal would call this this void this hole in our lives, and we realize there's something amiss, and that something amiss is for us, it's God. And so we have no issues with worshiping God, with having a relationship with God, whatever that looks like, uh, for people in general. For us, of course, as Christians, we believe it's found in Jesus Christ. The real issue we have is with one with another. Don't you wish sometimes that Jesus would have stopped when he was asked, tell us the greatest command, that he would have stopped with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind? But he doesn't, does he? He goes on to say, and love your brother, love your neighbor as yourself. But Lord, who is my neighbor? But Lord, who is my brother? But Lord, I don't like the Samaritans. But Lord, I don't like the Romans. But Lord, I don't like that person who's different from me. But Lord, and we give all kinds of excuses of why we shouldn't follow what Jesus tells us to, don't we? I mean, let's be honest with each other. We have no issues with loving God. It's the loving brother that we really have a problem with. The author Parker Palmer says it this way, and I think this is on the screen as well. Formation may be the best name for what happens in a circle of trust. Because the word refers to soul work done in community. I think he's on to something. We set out a couple of uh, months ago, about 18 months ago, matter of fact, of God. That sounds pretty scriptural to me. To love people, that's the rub. That's what we're going to talk about today. And to love by going. But as Palmer says, formation may be the best name for what happens in a circle of trust. In other words, you cannot do this alone. There are no rogue Christians. There are no followers of Jesus who follow alone. Have you ever had anybody tell you, as I have, that I can have a relationship with Jesus but not the church? 
Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Some of you have heard that as well. We talked about it last week where this idea of I can be spiritual, but I don't have to interact with the church. Or this book I mentioned to you last week that says, I love Jesus, it's just that I hate the church. Well, Palmer pushes back against that idea, and he says the way you're going to be the people that God wants you to be, to really understand love the way God intends for us to understand love, is all about trust. And to have trust, you have to have relationship. You have to be in a community. Easy? No, it's not easy. In fact, it's messy oftentimes, right? But Parker Palmer says it's work done in community. I think you'll understand that from Scripture as you think about the diversity found among the apostles. Remember, Matthew was a tax collector. Peter was a good Jew. He was a fisherman. We could go on and on and talk about the diversity among the disciples, but you get the idea, right? Community is always diverse. Not everybody looks like me, acts like me, dresses like me, speaks like me. Diversity is necessary in real community. First and foremost, community is a relationship with God, and then with each other. Observing the world around us, I think you'll agree, especially within the context of relationships, Anyone can see there's much work to be done. There's always this idea of us versus them, isn't there? There's always this idea of I've got it together and that person or those people don't have it together. Jesus said, love God. Most of us do the best we can with that one. But when he goes on to say, love your brother as yourself, we're quick to accuse, right? Those Democrats those Republicans, those people that don't know any better, those people that don't act like me, those people that don't dress like me, those people that are different, those people that have hurt me somehow. Why is that? I would offer to you we really don't understand love. We really don't understand love. We think we understand love. But we really don't understand love. If we're truly loving God, we're going to be loving those people different than us. In 1 John, the epistle, we read it this way. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. Is it up here? Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. You may think that hate is a strong word. But it's really not. At least not in this context. I'll come back to that here in a second. He says, those who say, I love God, and yet hate their brothers or sisters are liars. Now that's pretty strong language, right? Nobody likes to be called a liar. For those who don't love a brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. Powerful language when you talk about liars. But this idea of hating brothers and sisters, we think, well, I don't hate my brother or sister. I don't, I don't dislike them. I just try to get along with them. It's just they don't know any better. And we give every excuse of why we shouldn't be in relationship with those people. We don't really understand community. We really don't understand relationships. And as I said before, we really don't understand 
love. And you know why? Because our definition, whether we choose to believe it or not, whether we choose to acknowledge it or not, whether we choose to admit it or not, our definition is all based upon conditions. There are people lining up every day of the week. Every time the judge is on the bench, there are people lining up to get divorced. Why? Because they only love so much. There's limitations on their love, right? I will love you if you do what I want. I will love you if you act like me. If you're just like me, I will love you if. Well, there is no love if, right? Real, real love is God loves you anyway. That's the gospel. God loves you anyway. God loves you despite. And if we talk about loving God, God loving us, and then we're supposed to love our brother as God loves us and as we love God, then there should be no conditions on that kind of love. Do you follow what I'm saying? But we misdefine love. We misdefine love. We devalue those people that we don't love. We miss words like devotion. We don't understand those words anymore. We're devoted only to a certain extent. We've talked in the recent past how we've redefined or had society redefine for us words like commitment. Anybody think of commitment 20 years ago? My granddad used to hang out at a place, an auction barn, where it still has the sign out front that says where a handshake is still a contract. That's no longer the case, right? We're in a sue-happy world. So the definition of commitment has changed over the last couple of decades. Loyalty? What is loyalty? Right? Devotion. In Ruth chapter 1, you'll see this idea of devotion. You'll see this idea of commitment. You'll see this idea of love. And it's not love the way the world defines. Listen to what it says. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to live in a country of Moab. He and his wife and their two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Malon and Kilion, they were Ephrathites. What that means is they lived just outside of Bethlehem. But everyone, when they heard this word Ephrathites, they would know that the writer is describing this geographical suburb, if you will, of Bethlehem in Judah. And they went to Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah. What a name. And the name of the other was Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Let's stop there for a second and just talk context. This provider for the family finds himself in the middle of a famine. Now, if you're in the ancient Near East, you need the crops to grow, right? You need some kind of support for your family, not just for yourself, for your wife, for your children. You, you need some kind of support to survive. And when a famine occurs, there is no support. So 
So as we often uh, think about as in our own lives, whatever is necessary, I'll do whatever is necessary to support my wife. I will do whatever is necessary to support my children. And in this case, it was to move to a foreign land. Bethlehem is quite a distance from a place called Moab. And yes, this Elimelech finds that you can escape the famine for a certain amount of time if you move to a foreign land. The problem with that is when you move to a foreign land, you're out of place. We in our society would call that being an alien. You ever heard that term? In other words, you don't fit. You don't look like those people. You don't act like those people. Your dress probably gives you away. Your Texas accent perhaps would give you away. You don't fit in with the rest of the people. You stick out like a sore thumb. And yet they get this place called Moab, and God provides, but yet the father dies. That's what happens in the life cycle, right? You get to a certain age, something happens, the father dies, but it goes on to say the sons marry daughters to these foreign women. And the sons die. I want you to put yourself in Naomi's situation for just a moment. Right? Wear her sandals if you care to. Her husband's died. That brings about a certain amount of grief. But not only her husband have died, because once her husband dies, she can still get support from her sons. If your dad has died, you typically can think about the sons providing support for mom, Right? But what happens when your spouse has died, your sons have died, and there is no more support? And by the way, you're in a foreign land. There's two options for you, Naomi. Number one option is you can stay where you're at in a foreign land as an alien, be different than the rest of the culture, stick out like a sore thumb, probably not receive a whole lot of support, and turn to prostitution. That happened over and over and over again throughout the ancient Near East. But that's probably not an ideal situation. Would you agree, ladies? No, it's not an ideal situation. Option two is you can return home because you found out that the famine is over. And that's the option she chose, right? Let's read on. So she started to return, verse 6 it says, she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law. And remember who these Orpah and Ruth, these daughters-in-law are. They are Moabites, but they're willing to follow their mother-in-law back to her place where she comes from. Verse 8 says, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you. In other words, here's a blessing that Naomi, the mother-in-law, gives to her young daughters. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. She kissed them and they wept aloud, the Scripture says. In other words, there's this 
investment between Naomi and her daughters-in-law. That's something I think we miss in our relationships today. When I talk about investment, I'm not just talking about going to the local Brookshire's or Kroger or Walmart or wherever you happen to uh, to, to shop and have this weather conversation. That's not what I'm talking about. Relationship and community means you sacrificing your time, your talent, and your treasure. Do you have friends like that? Do you have people that you can really interact with? Or do you have them at a arm's length distance? You understand what I'm saying? I can, I can count on, let me just speak to the guys for a second, because most of us guys, we're fixers. and We don't need relationships like that, right? At least we don't think we need relationships like that. We fool ourselves when we think that way. Guys, we all need relationships where I can share with you my heart and you can love me anyway. You follow what I'm saying? You can know me from the inside out as far as humanly possible, let's just say, and yet you choose to love me anyway. There's a certain amount of investment there, right? You understand I've, given, I've been given grace, therefore I'm going to give grace, right? And this relationship, the way God intends relationships to be, is the investment takes place. There's, a, there's some time given, right? You've you got to invest in one another. It's something that's completely lacking in our society today. Lonely people go home and spend lonely nights, even if you have spouse, even if you sleep with somebody in the same bed. If you have kids running around like rugrats, right? And I, I, I visited, I told some of our folks in Bible study this morning, I was visiting with a lady uh, this past week, and she's got a household full of people, and she's talking about being the loneliest person in the world. Do you understand what I'm talking about? She may have relationships, but they're all surface-level relationships. There is no investment between her and someone else. And if you go through that day after day after day, or week after week after week, or for a certain amount of time, you begin to feel like nobody cares about what I'm going through. There is no investment. And we've got to get to a place where we just don't talk about relationships, that we just don't talk about community, but we really invest one with another. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's one thing for us to show up on a Sunday or at a Bible study or at a small group and say, hey, how are you doing? And not really care how the other person is doing. There's an investment here between Naomi and Orpah and Ruth. How do I know that? That's what it says. When she blesses them and she sends them, or at least attempts to send them back home, right? She kissed them and they wept aloud and they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. In other words, she has come far from home and she has become an alien. She has become displaced from her home. And they've recognized that and this relationship has transpired to the place where they're willing to be displaced from their own home and go back and be aliens and foreigners wherever she lives. Do you hear that? Relationships are messy. Relationships are fragile. 
And yet the only way we're going to understand love, genuine love, listen to me, the only way we're going to understand love the way God intends for us to understand love is to gamble on these messy, extraordinary opportunities for relationship. You know the reason we don't like the word confession? That's what it says, right? The Bible tells us to confess your sins one to another. You know the reason we don't like to do that? It's because we have individual ownership. And you know what brings freedom? Confession. If I sat with you, I wouldn't do that because with a female, but I would do that with a male. I would sit, I would sit with a male and I would say, Brandon, I'm, I'm trusting you, brother. I, I, I know you love God and I love God and I'm called to love my brother as God loves me and I'm trusting you with something that's very close to my heart and I'm going to bear I'm going to bear my soul to you for a second I'm going to be transparent as uncomfortable as it is I'm going to ask you to love me anyway that's hard especially for us guys Yet that's exactly what we're called to do. And the reason that we don't do it is because I'm afraid of what he might do. I mean, he has the option to turn and run, right? He has the option to judge just like the rest of the world judges. But yet if he understands relationship, if he understands love the way God tells us about love, the way we're supposed to understand love, then he'll say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you shared that with me. Now let me share. That's relationship, folks. That's community. That's investment. And it's broken. And it's messy. Unless God is involved. Do you understand what I'm saying? Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm, I'm too old to have a husband. She recognizes that, hey, there's not a whole lot of hope where we're going for both Ruth and Orpah. Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far better for me than for you. In fact, if you don't know the story, her, her name is changed to bitterness, right? I mean, this woman suffers. She suffers the death of her husband. She suffers the death of her children. She suffers horrible, horrible circumstances throughout her life. But they weep again, it says. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. Notice verse 14. They weep aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and did as... Naomi wanted her to do, but I love this phrase right here because this is where we need to get to when it comes to relationships. But Ruth clung to Naomi. But Ruth said, no, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to invest in you. You've invested in me. I'm going to invest in you. You, you sacrificed everything for me. You, you, you were displaced. You were an alien. You were a foreigner. And because we have the relationship that we have, 
I'm going to do the same for you. But Ruth clung to her. Beautiful, beautiful language. So Naomi, she said, Well, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law, but listen to what Ruth said. Don't press me to leave you. Don't, don't press me to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, if even death parts me from you. But when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, in other words, when Naomi recognized that Ruth was completely devoted, when Naomi recognized that Ruth was committed, when Naomi recognized the love that her daughter-in-law had for her, she said no more to her. Man, would we, would we live in such a world, such a great world, if we were that devoted? Would we, would we live in a beautiful world if we were that committed? Would we be a different people if we had that kind of love? Church, I'm here to tell you, that's what God intends for us. That's the way He loves us. That's the way He expects us to love one another. Even people that are different than us. Can I get three people up here real quick? Three people? Come on, Given. Come on, Kim. Brandon, come on. These are all believers, right? This scenario, they're all believers. I'm going to give you a short, simple illustration. Um, hopefully this will make sense. These are all believers, right? We're all believers. Brandon, Given, Kim, they don't know each other. They're not blood-related. They're all believers, right? If Satan, if the enemy is attacking Kim, and she's left alone to fight the enemy, how well is she going to do? The answer is not very well, right? And we're told that Satan is the king of this world. Eventually he will come to his demise. But if you try to be a rogue Christian, whatever that means, there is no such thing. That's an oxymoron, right? You can't do this outside a community. We've been talking about that, right? So if she tries to fight Satan alone, she's going to fail time and time and time again. You get the idea? All right. So if Satan is going to attack Kim, and Given has relationship with Kim, and I'm trying to get after Kim, what does is, what is Given do? You punch me in the stomach. You, you pray. You pray for your friend, right? You, you, you go to battle for your friend. Paul says it over and over again. Make sure you understand you're putting on the armor of God, right? And part of that armor of God is you fighting for yourself, but you fighting for your fellow. This is discipleship. Follow what I'm saying, right? But eventually, I can punch Given in the stomach, right? And I can get around and get to Kim, right? That's who Satan is. But if we had another, if we had another, and I'm trying to get to Kim, and these two are in community with Kim, and they're in community in the sense that they know what her temptation is, and she struggled with them and, and told them about real relationship, about real community, and they've invested in her, and she's invested in them. Every time I get to Kim, 
they can continue to fight for Kim. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Church, that's real community. That's real, thank you. That's real community. That's real love. That's real relationship. It says it this way in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. You got it, Christian? Proverbs 18, 24. It says, some friends play. I love this in RSV. Some friends play at friendship. What does that mean? How's the weather? How you doing? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? That's playing at friendship. Some friends play at friendship, but a true friend sticks closer than one's nearest kin. And that's a great promise for me. That's a really, really good promise for me because I need friends. I need people that care about me enough to say, I'm going to battle for you. And guess what? You may think you're strong, but you need friends. You need friends that know about you and love you anyway. You need friends that will go to battle for you. You need real relationship. You need real community. You need real friendship. You need to understand this is the love that God intends for us to have one with another. So what do we do? We just talk about it? Or do we follow through? Church, we can talk all day long about loving God, loving God, loving God. But if we're not willing to sacrifice and love our neighbor as ourself, even those that are different than us, then it's really not love. If we just tolerate somebody, it's really not love. It's devaluing the other person. My challenge to you, my challenge to me, is to remember that my faith has something to do with your faith. Your faith has something to do with my faith. Because there are times that Kim is weak and Given needs to be strong. And there are times that Given is weak and Brandon needs to be strong. And there are times that I'm weak and you need to be strong. And there are times that you are weak and you need to be humble enough to ask for help so that I can be strong. That's what it means to love. Let's pray. Father, for your word, um, especially here in Ruth chapter 1 today, uh, I'm taken aback by definitions like loyalty and, and commitment and devotion, and the devotion that Ruth has for her mother-in-law, the genuine love of being willing to be inconvenience, displaced, of being a foreigner um, who has very little hope. And yet she has a statement of faith, or several statements of faith, in regards to who you are and your faithfulness and your goodness. I also see, God, where she recognizes that Naomi's faith um, affected her faith, and her faith needs to affect Naomi's faith. God, forgive us when we think we don't need community, when we don't think we need relationship, or when we have this facade, this simple idea of relationship. And correct us, I pray. 
I ask God that you would help us to understand that we are strong when we're together, that we are loving you as we love our brother. And forgive us, God, when we claim to love you and simply tolerate those around us. Thank you for your perfect love that drives out fear. If there's someone here today, God, that doesn't know Jesus Christ, I pray today is the day of salvation. In Christ's name I pray.